Hi, everyone, and welcome to this What You Talking About Willis podcast. My name is Henry Willis, and I'm the Head of Humanities and Politics here at Halebury College in Melbourne, Victoria. Thank you for joining us as we discuss all things international relations, making connections between current world events and the VCE Global Politics curriculum. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy this week's episode. Good morning, everyone. Today's Monday, the 1st of March, and also is a special occasion because it marks my first ever journey into the world of podcasting. Uh, And in episode one today, we have a bit of an overview of unit three, area of study one of the VCE Global Politics course for you just to get things up and running. Um, So as discussed today, we're going to be talking about global actors, uh, the first area of study in the Victorian Curriculum Education Global Politics course. Um, And this is a fairly large uh, area of study. Um, Most of you will probably find early and you'll probably have a small panic attack about the the size and scale of this unit. Um, The first thing to remember is just to relax because the rest of the course perhaps isn't quite so large. Um, Unit three certainly has a a vast majority of the content that you need to cover uh, and unit four is a little bit easier to manage. Um, And so that's sort of a a comforting thing to know. Uh, And secondly, the course tends to build on top of itself. And so there'll be lots of opportunities for you to use examples and evidence and concepts discussed in the first area of study um, throughout the entire course. So certainly unit three of study one seems like a big, big part of the course, um, but it's a, it's a foundation part of the course where it gives you an introduction to all the key areas of study. And so to get straight into things, there are probably three key things you need to look at when unpacking an area of study. Um, Obviously, the main thing that you will look at will be the key knowledge dot points, uh, which very clearly outline what content needs to be covered and assessed in this subject. Um, The second thing to look at is the key skills. Uh, because other than knowing what kind of things you need to know, you need to know how to use that material. And certainly the key skills play a very important role in dictating what you have to be able to do with that key knowledge. And the last thing to look at, which not a lot of people look at necessarily is the preamble. Um, As exam writers um, sort of look for more creative ways to assess your knowledge, they'll start to dive further and further into things like the preamble to try and draw out some concepts that perhaps are not explicitly referenced in the study design dot points Um, and certainly we've seen in exams over previous years uh, a number of questions and particularly questions that are not answered particularly well on the examination uh, which draw from source material in the preamble and we'll talk about a couple of examples of, of those today. And so the first thing that you need to be able to address in this area of study, of course, like all of our areas of studies, are the key terms. Um, And there are a couple of major things you need to be able to do with these key terms. Um, You need to define them. uh, And the best place to get your definitions for all VC global politics terms is the VCAR glossary, which you can look up online. And when defining these terms, it's really important to be as precise as possible um, and not to stray from those VCAR definitions. Um, They cannot be wrong, those definitions, as they are produced in a a VCAR publication. Um, And therefore, that's your safest bet to ensure that you get marks when you're defining key concepts. I think the more you start to paraphrase your key concepts, um, the more opportunity you give assessors to scrutinize you. Um, So it's very important to be precise with your definitions. 
Um, you also need to be able to explain and link these key terms to other areas of the course. And so rather than just defining or rote learning definitions, um, you need to make sure that you can connect them in a meaningful way to other concepts um, in the course and can also connect them to sort of the bigger uh, concepts and themes that sort of um, occur throughout the unit. Um, and we've seen a lot of this recently on examinations where exam writers take key terms and embed them into larger uh, evaluative questions, you know, six mark evaluative questions where it's looking for you to develop a relationship between that key term um, and some other concept that's discussed in more detail. In Unit 3 Area Study 1, the key terms uh, outline sort of major concepts and ideas, not only for this area of study, but for the entire course. Um, and these concepts are the nation, uh, the state, sovereignty, power, global governance, multilateralism, and globalization. So as I've said, you need to be able to define all of those key terms in detail. Moving on from the key terms and definitions, you need to be able to address the aims, roles, powers, and the degree to which various global actors uh, all erode state sovereignty. Um, in doing so, you need to address all of the key actors in international relations. So the first and most obvious global actor that you need to address is the state, uh, because many would argue that the state is the central actor in global politics because it is arguably the biggest, uh, the most recognisable. States have sovereignty uh, and therefore they are potentially the most significant or central actors in global politics. So you'll need to be able to address the aims, roles and powers of states in global politics. My advice would be not to necessarily dive into this in a huge amount of detail straight away because in Unit 3 Area Study 2, um, each of you will do a detailed case study about an Asia-Pacific state's use of power um, and their ability to achieve a whole range of different aims. And a lot of that material can be rolled over into um, Unit 3 Area of Study 1. So just remember that um, you're going to have a whole unit devoted to the power of a state uh, coming up in Unit 3 Area of Study 2. The key areas that often get assessed though in relation to the state for this area of study are the factors that challenge state sovereignty. And certainly these three factors are explicitly written into the study design and they tend to appear on most exams um, each year in one uh, way, shape or form. And so those three factors are regional groupings, contested borders and issues that require multilateral resolution. And so you certainly need to explicitly uh, be able to explain not only what those characteristics are, but using an example or examples plural to demonstrate how how those things might challenge the centrality of the state, the power of the state, or the ability of the state to independently govern itself to its own recognized borders. And so they're definitely three areas that need to be discussed in a lot of detail, uh, and we'll have a look at those in future episodes. Intergovernmental organizations are the next actor that you need to address, and there are three in this area of study. We have the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, and the International Criminal Court. Uh, so please note the title intergovernmental organization is how these groups are classified in this study design. Um, in international relations, we have lots of different labels for things. And the main thing for you all as students to recognize is that the VCAR study design version or labels are the ones that matter the most. So please make sure that you define these um, 
act as appropriately and if a question asks you for an intergovernmental organisation, uh, it's referring to one of those three actors. Uh, sometimes the term non-state actor can be a bit of source of confusion for people because everyone would say, well, if you're not a state, then you're a non-state actor. And that might include IGOs, um, altruistic NGOs, TNCs. And while that might be true in a general sense, in this study design, non-state actors have their own category and therefore they only refer to, say, the legal organisations like a human rights organisation or a global terrorist movement and not other non-state actors, which in this case are labelled as intergovernmental organisations. So once you've covered your aims, roles, power, and the degree to which those IGOs erode state sovereignty, you also need to address the aims, roles, and powers of two different non-state actors. And these need to come from the following groups. There needs to be a legal organisation, which includes groups like human rights organisations, uh, environmental NGOs, um, organised religions, or a global terrorist movement. The term legal organisation has caused confusion in the past. Um, on the exam in 2020, uh, a lot of students saw the term legal organisation and immediately jumped to the International Criminal Court. And those students got zero because that is not a legal organisation based off this study design. The ICC is an IGO. And in the case of this study design, a legal organisation is a non-state actor, um, which is typically defined as being a human rights org, an environmental org, etc. So you need to be very careful in the way that you label these key global actors. The final global actor that you need to address is the transnational corporation. And again, you need to be able to address aims, roles and power of one transnational corporation that you have studied. Again, please don't treat the transnational corporation as a non-state actor. It deserves its own category. And if the exam writers want you to discuss the TNC, they will use the term transnational corporation in question. And so when we look at the key skills for this area of study, it points to a couple of key things that we need to be able to do with this material. One, define and explain all key terms. And we've discussed that, so define them very precisely, but putting them in the appropriate context as well. With the aims of the global actors, you need to be able to not only explain them in terms of what are the aims, how do they achieve them, and why do they have those aims, but you have to be able to evaluate the extent to which a global actor is able to achieve that aim, okay? And so there's that sort of whole progression of what is the aim, how is it achieved, why does that aim exist? And in an evaluative sense, and this is the sort of higher end skill, being argumentative and assessing the extent to which the ICC or the UN has achieved either one aim, singular, or aims, plural. And it's very important that you also note that it's a key to watch for plurals um, in exam questions and in the study design, because that signifies that you have to know more than one. Um, so at least two aims, roles for each of those global actors. In terms of power, it says you have to evaluate the power of all these global actors, which means that you have to be uh, make assessments about whether that power works or not. And so the key word there is probably influence. Do these global actors influence certain outcomes effectively or not? And particularly relating those to the aims. So does the UN's use of diplomacy, um, its economic influence, its humanitarian support, does that effectively promote international peace and security or not? And so forming those evaluations and discussions around whether these organisations really do 
achieve what they set out to achieve. And as you'll probably come to find that there's no real black and white in international relations, no single actor has been perfect or has failed. Um, some have been largely quite successful, some have largely failed, but there's all sorts of shades of gray there which allow you to make assessments and judgments about the degree to which something has been influential. And then lastly, you need to look at state sovereignty in relation to all of these different global actors. And so if states are the central actors in global politics and they have sovereignty, which is that sort of legitimate and widely recognized ability to control territory um, and to control their borders and their destinies, to what extent do these actors erode that capacity? Now, remember sovereignty um, is not a, an absolute term. You, are, you don't necessarily have it or you, or you don't. Um, some states have sovereignty to large degrees, but that sovereignty is eroded or challenged or minimized as a result of the conduct of all these different global actors in a countless different ways. And you need to be able to have those discussions again in an evaluative sense. In what ways do these actors challenge state sovereignty and are they effective? In contrast, where do states retain their centrality? Uh, where are the powers of those states such that they might be able to regulate those non-state actors or find those transnational uh, corporations or ignore the obligations outlined by the Rome Statute of the ICC? Um, there are many, many examples of those kind of events taking place in international relations, and they're important ones to help demonstrate the situations where states retain their authority in international affairs. Lastly, it's a very important note to finish on that in this area of study, all examples and case studies used must be no more than 10 years old. So there's a couple of things there. Firstly, there's a real trend of exam writers starting to really push and focus on the use of evidence and examples to demonstrate concepts. In previous years, they might not have explicitly said using an example, and that might allow you to write a fairly theoretical explanation of, say, the power of the United Nations. More and more, we're seeing questions which say things like using a specific instance or a specific example, explain the power of the UN. So it's very important that for all of your powers, your aims, your roles, that you can connect those things to real life examples of the UN having success or having failed to achieve those things. And that's where I often say to my students that it's very important that you can quantify that. Um, don't tell me theoretically what the UN aimed to do provide me with evidence to support the UN achieving that aim or failing to achieve that aim. And that might be in a number of different ways. It might be a, a quotation of, a, of an academic or a, a famous world leader who supports the achievement of that aim or reflects poorly on the achievement of that aim. It might be quantified through statistics and, and trends over time. Um, there's all sorts of evidence that you can use, but the best work will attempt to quantify the influence that these organizations have and the success and failures that they've had also. Obviously, they need to be current cases. And so you risk getting zero marks for something that ventures outside that 10 year time frame. So just be a little bit careful with that. Um, I think using as a contemporary a case as possible is really important. Um, and it's really important that you update your notes and look at new cases. Um, some common cases that get used now are starting to get a little bit too old and dated. Um, the IMF's intervention in Greece, for example, was in 2010, which is starting to fall outside that bracket. Um, 
common cases to do with say China and their direct free links policy with uh, Taiwan. Again, uh, are cases which are often occurring in 2008, 2009, and they start to fall outside that bracket. So um, if in doubt in this subject, um, always play it safe and choose examples and cases that are very recent um, within the last sort of couple of years would be ideal. Um, of course, there are great cases that might be a little bit older than that and they're fine to use, but my advice, use contemporary up-to-date cases and you won't get yourself into trouble. So uh, that was just a brief overview of the Unit 3, Area Study 1, Global Politics course. Um, in the coming episodes, we'll spend some time unpacking each of those key global actors for you so you can look at some specific examples of the aims, roles, and powers of those organizations. Um, so I hope that helps set the foundation for this area of study. Uh, thank you for listening, and hopefully I'll be able to catch up with you all at some stage in the next couple of weeks. Take care.